Hello and welcome to this week's instalment of As the Actress Said to the Critic with me, Sarah Crompton, the critic. And me, Nancy Carroll, the actress. And today is one of our special guest days, which is very exciting. Yay! (laughs) Fireworks. Um, And we're joined by Finn Caldwell, who is a director, a director of puppetry and movement. Hello there. Very Thanks nice to have you here. Very big title. <laughs> <laughs> lots of words. Thank you. Lots of words. <laughs> lots of different skills. And um, so tell us what, start off, Finn, by telling us what you're doing at the moment. And then that will give people an idea of what you're up to and what you've done. Um, so at the moment, um, still kind of reacting to post-pandemic, um, I'm mainly working on Life of Pi, which was um, which we started in the Sheffield and then was in the West End and very exciting and then is now on Broadway. Amazing. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm uh, very excited, lucky, slightly surprised that I'm jetting back and forth to New York looking after this show and looking after marketing and stuff. So that's really exciting. Of course, um, as always, bringing back old shows um, from, uh, bec- I think partly because of the pandemic, everyone's yeah, wanting to yeah. Yeah. put everything that worked back on and uh, and developing new stuff as well. So very happy. And I, I was, we were talking before we came on and I, I uh, to do this and I, I feel that um, the development of puppetry is one of the great changes in theatre in my lifetime. I would say that when I first wow. started going to the theatre, that if you had puppets at all, you sort of had, it was Japanese, actually, you know, mm. with um, maybe shadow yeah. puppets and everything. And they were certainly for kids, you know, like Sound of Music kind of, um, yeah. you know, hand puppets and all the rest of it. And now with something like Life Pie, in, though, you know, obviously it's slightly rude to the cast, but the puppets are the stars. I mean, you know, you... you <laughs> Yeah. It's a tiger that everybody wants to see. So I, I wonder if you, you know, if you feel that really, if you. Well, it's, it's extraordinary to hear you saying that. And uh, uh, I th- obviously I, I think puppetry has been on a huge journey um, and it's very exciting to see what it's doing. Yeah, I do feel that. I, I, I think um, I had this strange experience. I, I trained as an actor originally and then about five years into my acting career, I thought, so I, I want to be making more here. I want to be oh. do, making more choices myself and con- controlling a bit more, I guess, or make, having more of the direct creative input. And so I started making my own work and I knew that I wanted it to be fairly visual. I'd already done a, f- a lot of work in mask. Um, but I suddenly got really excited, completely out of the blue with no reference to it, but for, uh, about puppetry. And I, I went to see as much puppetry as I could. Right. And this was probably about 20, more than 20 years ago. And I, it was just rubbish. It was just all, I mean, it was wonderful for kids. There was loads of really interesting stuff going on for kids. But I was like, but this is an extraordinary art form. Why can't we be um, scaring people, making them excited, making them laugh, making them, you know, all the wonderful things that theatre can do for you. And so I sort of just started making stuff and creating things and seeing where I could go. And um, I bumped into a load of other people who already wanted to do that as well. Oh, how brilliant. And out of that um, came, came Warhorse, really. I mean, yeah. it, it didn't... Tom Morris, who was really the initiator for it, had already had that idea. But I think once he... He knew he wanted to work with Handspring. They were the original designers of the horses. And um, I think they were, like, going, OK, well, here are these incredible puppets. We need people who are physical enough to move these things around but understand acting well enough to be able to carry the narrative with a puppet that doesn't speak yeah. for two hours. Yes. And the audience has got to follow its thoughts, its feelings, its desires, its interests. Uh, uh, and, and without text, that is a big, uh, a big ask. Yeah. And, and, and so that's where the work started, I think. 
And there was really nothing like it before that. I mean, that, that's what blew Puppetry's been going mind. on since for, like forever, right? Yeah. So like making dolls were one of the first artefacts we found in human civilization. So yes. puppetry is nothing new. Yeah. But I think it's the art form has become, it became uh, in England primarily the, 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 the ground of children, right? Yeah, so we yeah. Have, Bill and Ben and yeah. and Sweet. I mean, and, and, but also you think of like the Chinese New Year or whatever, yeah. the, the massive dragons. Yeah. I mean, that's what Warhorse felt to me, that the only thing that I had, the reference I had when I saw it yeah. many 15 years ago, yeah. that those Chinese dragons that used to walk through Chinatown or whatever yeah. with two or three people holding the head and everybody doing the dancing behind. I think that's absolutely right. And we've had, you know, there were companies in America like Bread and, Bup Bread and Puppet Theatre Company oh, who were amazing. making big political... Uh, spectacle, uh, marchy oh, yeah. parade things. Yeah, it was a Reagan yeah. puppet, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah and they were really course. funny. And they'd beaten. They were made out of paper, and they'd, I think they beat them up and burnt them occasionally. But yeah, what was really <laughs> I mean, well, of course, fun. yeah, Guy Fawkes. I mean, yeah, they yeah. used to yeah, Lewis, yeah. didn't they, all the time? Yeah. I think what was different, certainly what was different for me about Warhorse was we took all of that spectacle and that visual stuff and that life. And we said, okay, now what happens if we take that further? And ev like a human being, like an yeah. actor on stage, every movement, every sound that they make, we are trying to say something. <gasps> We're not yeah. just parading through the streets and the object as a symbol is meaningful. Yeah. We're saying that this as a character yeah. with thoughts, intentions and actions is is trying to affect other people on stage. And so that the the visual spectacle becomes the narrative. Right. And That's you, where I am. That's why I'm interested. Yeah, in. I mean, and you were actually a puppeteer on, you were on stage in Warhorse. I was in, yeah, who, first uh, puppeteer. Yeah, who, who were you? Like, <laughs> Good <laughs> who question. Who were you playing? I was, the um, I was the goose. I was the goose. <laughs> were you the goose? I was the goose. Yeah, War oh, goose. Amazing. I've been teased about that for the rest of my life. Oh, I'm sorry. But I'm sorry. also <laughs> deeply proud of it. It's a very funny <laughs> character to play with and um, very proud to watch the 20 or 30 other gooses that have been after me. Yeah. But I was also um, top thorn. I was the black horse, I was the front right. legs of the back horse. Right. Oh, amazing. Um, so that was carrying people on your back and <gasps> really um, running around and really, and that was just amazing. And top thorn got to die as well. That was very exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was some small acting roles in the, in the show yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, and I it think, was extraordinary, mm. Warhorse. I do, I, I mean, I do remember that um, taking, you know, because it was perfect for um, my children. We saw it, in fact, saw it twice twice which you probably did as well yeah, yeah. That, so you, I saw it with one when he was you know the right age and then again with the next age and I remember the older one didn't want to leave the auditorium at the um, interval because the, you know the, the, the magic was so strong oh. just wanted to stay there but the, the other thing that I most remember the first time I saw a war horse was that when um, when that little Joey the, yeah we call it baby Joey baby Joey mm -hmm. grows into big Joey oh and all God. it is is a puppet moving around the stage yeah and the whole audience well this is before you've even got into the tragedy of the story yeah the whole audience is in tears yeah. just because of their involvement with Joey yeah. it was yeah. an extraordinary thing I think we um to some extent accidentally and some extent chose we found ourselves into some incredible techniques so first of all I certainly learned on that show that um, the puppet is essentially incredibly vulnerable. So baby Joey comes out and it's just got sticks for legs and it's got this head and it's tottering. And you can see the three people in the audience are like, what are those three doing there? Yeah. And then they're like, oh, it's moving. Oh, that's important. I'm going to watch the movement. Oh, it's alive. And I've stopped thinking about those three people. Yeah. And I'm intrinsically aware that it is vulnerable. Yeah. Because yeah. if anyone steps away, it will literally fall on the floor. Yes. So we see it almost be born. In fact, we toyed with the idea of trying to show you Baby Joan being born. But in a way, we show you it being born because it comes on stage and it breathes. 
yeah, and it totters. Yeah. And yeah. it's just, you're just with it. And so we got that thing. And then w- the other thing that was really instrumental for me is you learn about putting stagecraft and puppetry and music and lighting together. Yeah. And for that transformation thing, adding all of those things together so that all, everybody on stage, you know, the creatives, the lighting designer, the sound designer, the, the all of that, the video is all working towards one moment or one thing. And yeah. we've definitely gone much further with that in Pi. But that transformation moment in um, Warhorse was really every department work being absolutely on step in moment so that when that one puppet transforms into the other, you have this big payoff. Yeah. But that moment when the audience stops seeing all the separate, separate elements mm. and get lost in it. Yeah. You, they're then like, Putty, I mean, I remember in Elephanton, which I took the kids to see, and it's still one of my top 10 shows I've ever seen as an adult, (laughs) not even through their eyes, just me sat there. It's that magic that once you understand the blue elephant, then it doesn't matter. You are just lost. And then when the big Elephanton comes and starts bouncing off the front row of the audience <laughs> we were just you know we just didn't exist anymore we were just completely in that thought it was just the most beautiful thing oh. well, it, it's like a child bringing another child a toy right it's like i've yeah. my, brought my favorite teddy i've just got this from the shop look here it is and you're both like that is amazing yeah, yeah. and then you both go, let's play and yeah. you get involved in the game yeah. and you're off yeah, yeah. 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 No, it's brilliant. I mean, and same as I mean, Light Princess. The same. You, 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 you have that moment. We go. Oh, interesting. There's people in black leotards yes. running around, uh, holding Rosie up. That's great. And now she's in the air. Or you know. But then you're lost once you, you've understood the it. convention. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I guess that's true of theatre. You know, across the board on some level. But it's. But I think sometimes when the the leap is oddly shaped. Yeah. It's really exciting when an audience then can make that leap. I hope as well. And this is just this is my personal thing. I think it's the difference between what we were talking about earlier, like a massive horse on stage in itself is really exciting. Yeah. But when you start to see details that take you beyond what you might have imagined, beyond the initial concept. Yes. Those details take you into, oh, wow, this is real. It's more than I could have imagined it was. Yes. So it must be real. Yeah. And therefore I'm in a magical world. Yeah. Yeah. When you so what? As a puppet um, director, director of puppetry <laughs> and movement. So, what what's your role now? What do you what did you do when you did Pi, for example? Uh, well, in general, day? so I, I also co-designed puppets with with uh, in the past with Toby and sometimes with Toby, Toby. now, and also with uh, Nick Barnes, who's the co-designer with me on Life of Pi. But so the first thing we do is think about the design, right. and the design is really two things from my point of view. It's really about looking at the creature. Yeah. that you're going to portray in the show, whether that be human, magical or naturalistic, asking what is needed of it in the narrative of in the production. So uh, my most ex- exciting answer to that question is everything. So you need to make a puppet that can sort of do anything and everything. But quite often the needs are quite specific. You know, you might need to, we need the human to be able to ride on its back or it has to be able to reach up here and do this. Or in the case of Life of Pi, has to scare people. Right. Has to be scary. Yeah. If we couldn't have made the tiger scary, stop there but yeah, you can't yeah, have a cute yeah. tiger on stage in life of pie it just makes the story meaningless so we look for what the puppet is needed to do and then we try and nail that thing in the, in the first r&d alongside looking at the uh, naturalistic uh, skeleton so for the tiger we absolutely follow the skeleton of a tiger make it life-size and look at where the joints are so that our object wants to move like a tiger already right and then in terms of puppetry direction my two main jobs are training people to use the puppet yeah which means working out how to make it just function yeah, and then working on how we use that 
puppet as a character and as a narrative thing in the show. So it's acting within the show. So then we direct the puppet like you would an actor. Yeah, yeah. Once you've trained them. So just go back to that bit in research and development where you say that thing about the joints. Because that's yes. really interesting from a movement point of view that you're designing the puppet. Yeah. So we look at... Um, to so, move through its joints. Yeah. So we look at... If we're making the tiger, um, we the, one of the first things we'll do is get at, real pictures of tigers, tiger's anatomy of their skeletons usually from a book or some, sometimes even printed off the internet. And then we will use like something like an overhead projector to, to project that to life scale. And then we will make a drawing that's at life scale that, and we go, that's where the shoulders are, that's where the hips are, that's where the knees are. So that all of those things are in relation to each other. And then, of course, going further than that, we measure the distance between those points and that's how long that bit of limb is or that scapula is or this bit of spine. So even if we're making it slightly bigger, because the tiger is fractionally bigger than a naturalistic tiger, we will stick to those original idea, original um, skeleton points as much as possible. With the tiger specifically, we put somebody inside it. And the reason it put someone inside it is because they couldn't move fast enough outside. Um, that meant that the chest had to get a little bit bigger. So ours is quite a, a bulky chest, bigger than a real tiger okay. ever would be probably. So we make compromises in that way. But that initial looking at the skeleton just means that as the puppeteers are working towards it, we always hit a point where they go, oh, yeah, it's now moving as it wants to move. Right. Oh, I can yeah. feel that the object already thinks it should be moving this way because Amazing. nature's designed it. I yeah. haven't. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so you, you've, you, that gives you that advantage of now it feels right. Otherwise, you can be forever like it never quite feels comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I've just seen a, a piece by Crystal Pite. Mm. Um uh, figures in Extinction, brackets one, which she devised with Simon McBurney for um, Netherlands Dance Theatre. Oh, amazing. And it's basically hundreds of images of figures that are um, dance images of animals and things that are in danger from climate change. Wow. And one of them is a puppet ah. of a <gasps> cheetah. And what it enables her to do, of course, is to do exactly what you're talking about, is sort of take it, apart by its joints mm. so she builds it as this amazing creature mm. and then takes it apart to wow. show it's kind of and and, it, and and i hadn't thought how how it is structured in that way until yeah. um it's fascinating as well the the narrative of that story particularly but when animals appear in um books and when they have relationships with humans like with running wild which again we saw which yeah. i had read to the kids and was sobbing at the end the relationship that the elephant Uma, has with yeah. the little boy um, in the Michael Mopurgo book. But again, Life of Pi, the, the, the tiger develops a relationship with the central character. And so this, yeah. how you then sort of do that thing that it is you're, you're studying an animal in its natural habitat, but then there's a, it's a character that has yeah. in some way been yeah. humanised yes. by this, the telling of the story. And, I mean, that must be fascinating for you finding that... Yeah, space between the two again that you can i feel like i can see the development from warhorse where we were really um just sort of finding out if this would work like yeah. so did the, we in in the first sort of half of the show or the first time you're meeting the puppet we're spending a long time trying to teach the audience through the main human character yeah. what the puppet thinks wants through its movement yeah so it flinches back and the boy learns Oh, it doesn't like that. And the audience learned that too. Yeah. So that when we see the horse do that in a situation where they might not have understood it because there's nobody there being sensitive to it. Yes. Um, they, the audience are then with that character. Yeah. In Life of Pi, we do this... I'm, I, I must be careful not to spoil it, but it's not entirely... 
accurate the way the audience thinks the relationship goes in that. Oh, okay. The boy, and through the boy, the audience has one perception of the relationship, and the tiger has a very different perception of that relationship. <gasps> okay. So it, that was incredibly fun. Like, we know a tiger in the naturalistic world will do this, bat its ears back yeah. and drop its head down. What does the human think that means? Right. Yeah. And what does the tiger mean by it? Yeah. And, and yeah. when the human on stage thinks it means something, they'll probably react in such a way that the audience will think that too. Yeah. But um, more, uh, 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 another part of the audience might be thinking, are we sure? Does yeah, the tiger really right. think, is he yeah. agreeing with the boy here? Or is he, what's its motivation for doing that? Yeah. And that becomes a very uh, complicated relationship. And as a director, you get to play with the audience's perception of what's yeah. going on. So you can sort of tease them. Yes. Are we, we're definitely going down. Is that happening? Yes, it is. And then, yeah. you know, things can, then you can trick too. <laughs> Which is Do fun. you think audiences have got cleverer reading mm. puppets? Because I was very struck, it's not one of your shows, but I was very struck uh, with... Um, uh, my neighbour Totoro oh, at yes. uh, the barbecue, which is yeah. not your puppets. No, but, but one amazing. Of, it is amazing, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. And one of the things they do with that is bring the puppeteers in as characters. Yeah. So you've got an incredibly sort of sophisticated system whereby you you don't see them when their masks are, when their veils are down. Mm. And when their veils are up, they're characters and in the production and they're also reacting mm. to their own puppets and to things that are going on in the production and I felt watching that I thought I haven't I didn't I wouldn't have seen that 20 years ago yeah. that idea that I can read it all I think that's such an astute observation I think we really have the audiences have changed because of the work and vice versa the audience are hungry for the work so the work gets made and vice versa but um yeah, I think we wouldn't have seen that level of complexity. And I think there's a hot... I first started working with a company called Blind Summit. Now, Blind Summit, when we were working together, took everything apart. So, like, the puppet would come on and it'd be drinking a glass of water and then it'd look at its hand and then look at the puppeteer as if to say, you've not lifted that very well, have you? You keep missing my mouth. Oh, God, so how we, brilliant. we would have all of those, that playing with absolutely undoing everything. Yes, because yes. there are a system of, of principles that I work with, with puppetry, and most puppetry companies have their own versions and then all of them cross over. Right. And these principles, when you mess with them, make the puppets strangely real, unreal in some way, or they, they step out of the... the they become meta. Right. Um, and I love that stuff, and I think there's loads more to be explored there. I think one of the interesting things is it took quite a long time to... Uh, I think one of the things we've done with Warhorse is persuade people that puppetry can be mainstream. Mm-hmm. And I think if we get too tricksy with pup- puppetry sometimes, I love that because I'm in it all the time and I want to see all the tricks. Yeah. But in some ways, I think one of our jobs is to continue to persuade audiences that this is a this does work as a mainstream fundamental thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I'm shying away too much from the stuff I used to love so much yeah. um, and, and should go back to it. And I think particularly with unreal characters like the cartoon characters of um, Totoro and and uh, rather than naturalistic animals I think that's much more justified and I think it's really exciting yeah lots of really possibilities but it, it, the, the, it's the um, it's the leap of the imagination that yes. once people I mean and I think we were talking about it before we started recording with the girl that walked to make a political statement about refugees and yeah but 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 ultimately you know the, the the global reaction to that and the images that went viral immediately and the way people gathered knowing that she was going to be walking to a particular part yeah. of a city just shows you that the audience is there and they're hungry for it it's and they're, they're prepared to accept it and that and that you know from the excitement of of the goose in warhorse to <laughs> the excitement of the size of the girl 
that people are accepting. It doesn't matter. Definitely. They they will they, they accept that it is a language that they understand and, and want to listen to. And, yeah. and then the, to as you say, the world is your oyster, and it's what well, you I do think with also, that. I think is it what Amal? Little, Amal, I think it is little. Little Amal. Yeah, yeah. that's right. She's and wonderful. And it was a protest about refugees, isn't it? Yeah. Essentially, that she um yeah she walks the um world yeah. surrounded by a, a kind of protest as well. Yeah. And I wonder if. Because they had some trouble. I know some of the guys. They they had. There were certain places that didn't really want them to be or weren't right. welcoming. Right. And, but I wonder if you know. It makes me think bizarrely of Rod Hull and Emu. Yeah. Oh yes. Well, I was <laughs> so going to say that ventriloquism. It's the yeah. same thing. Well, the ven. The, Rod Hull. I remember as a child seeing Emu attack that chap who was on the word <laughs> when I was a child. Emu just like mouth hugged him. Got his face and was yeah, like yeah. wrestling with him on the sofa on this late night. But it was the puppet. Yes. You know, the puppet allows you that kind of beyond the normal. Uh, Things you can say. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. I wonder yeah. if Amal cashed in on a bit of that. Yes, and I well, yes, and as you say, because she, she was so huge. I mean, yeah. she's like six times, ten times life size, and she's so, she, yeah. and and so it kind of makes such an impact as she walks through a street. And actually, you talking about things that are scary though reminds me of um, you did Ocean at the end of the day, yeah, yeah, which still on tour, still yeah. on tour, and uh, you know, huge again has had a huge impact i think on people seeing it because it is genuinely frightening that yeah. show yeah. Yeah, yeah our big our big uh, interdimensional creature and that is uh, proper scary yeah and yeah. and you know i i wouldn't at some levels i don't think of that as a puppet i think of that mm. some well i think of that as movement which yeah. i think is interesting and you how how do you sort of distinguish it that was an incredible puppet to work on um and that was designed by sam wire uh, uh, and we worked on loads of different versions, more versions than I've ever worked on in any other show. Because the ask for the puppet, what's written in the book is that it's a kind of, it's almost like a perceptional state, like the the, the two children witnessing it look see a sort of uh, flapping, rotting sail in the wind. So we had to kind of translate the feeling that was being created inside them and try and give that agency in, in, in on stage. Yeah. One of the tricky things for me is I was like, it's got to have a face, it's got to have eyes, because that's all I knew as to how to make intention. Like your puppet has to be able to give you focus yeah. to be able to know what it's what it even wants or thinks. I was wrong which is really exciting, We the more faceless we made it, and actually we kept moving. This is its head. This is its head. This leg has become its head. And we said, okay, for now, for these five seconds, it's going to move like a spider, and then it's going to roll like a snake, and then it's going to be like a charging bear. Yeah, so, yeah. But we kept, so there was a real mixture of like, you don't know what it is, you know what it is. Yeah, you yeah. don't know if it's talking to you, it is talking to you. Yeah. You don't know if it's threatening or if it's, you know, so it just kept, but uh, yeah, it was an amazing project. Well, to work it reminded me of the Dark Crystal. Do you remember the yeah. Dark Crystal? Yeah, was yeah. it eighties and nineties? Yeah. It was. Uh, I think Jim Henson yeah. was yes. involved in that yeah. as well. But it was there was something about and and Labyrinth that Bowie did that film years ago. Yeah. Labyrinth and there's something about the Technicolor of an alternative world and the way that the set was designed in Ocean at the End of the Lane that lulls you into a full sense of security. Yeah, and then. And then for this nightmarish creature to come out of that, yeah. and particularly when it doesn't have a body as such, yeah, yeah, you know that you 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 sort of could you create a monster in your head as a child, and it usually has 
a body and then arms and legs. And when when that body is indefinable, yeah, and and it feels un, its energy is untethered, yeah, then it's proper nightmares. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's yeah. um and and it had a sort of kamikaze, yeah. frenetic energy yeah. that again is is we don't know what that language is, and so then again it plays into another layer of sort of nightmare and. Yeah, yeah, it's mass- massively uh, expanding the possibilities of what theatre can do. Yeah. Really, when when puppets become so sophisticated that you are, uh, you know, it's not like a. Li- well, as you say, it brings in lighting effects and other things, but it, it has suddenly added a layer to the stories you can tell. You? I hope so. And, I, and one of the most exciting things is when someone says to me, well, well, how on earth would you stage that? I'm in straight away. I'm like, right. yes, OK. Because it, it's partly to do with my passion for theatre, I guess. And I really feel strongly that theatre needs to be capable of anything like right. film is. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. In a very different way. I don't think we should complete with film or try and make special effects. But I think that theatre is capable of doing totally. and should be perceived, or it would be more exciting if it yeah. was perceived as such. Um, and so, yes, I, I, I think, I hope we are saying that story is now possible because of this. Yeah. Or that story is to be, can be told in a different way. Even staging things as well, because a lot of the movement work I do is about staging. So, like, once we'd conquered the tiger, how do you spend the second half of the show on water? Yes. Without filling the stage with water, you know, and being literal. So all of that stuff is very exciting yeah. to me. And I hope I hope we are opening doors. Yeah, and I was very... I mean, you were nominated for... An, you, you won the Olivier for Best Set Design for Life of Pi, but you were also nominated as Best Theatre Choreographer. And that's yeah. interesting to me that you, you know, you see yourself as a... Choreo- you see yourself as a movement director at some levels as well as... To be honest, I see that as my main work. Right. Um, what I've spent the last couple of years doing is, you know, I have... Uh, Toby and Nick are both extraordinary, right. wonderful um, puppet director and designer and a, a long-time collaborator of mine. And him and Nick Barnes both are extraordinary designers, more technical than me. My input to the design always feels vital, but it's really at the stage where of how we make it move, right. how it delivers these things. Um, and my, I was lucky enough to have a, a mother who trained at Central St. Martin's in Tectiles and a father who's a carpenter and builder. So I have some of those built-in oh, skills. Oh, how lovely. <laughs> Very nice. But um, no, my real, the bit that really excites me is this thing that we talked about a while ago, which is like, that means something. I move my hand one inch forwards and everybody on stage knows what that is, knows that that is warm or threatening or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So the movement of the puppet becomes incredibly significant. Right. And coming as a from a background of acting myself, when I was acting at the same time, realising this made a huge difference to my process because I was like, everything we do should be seen as meaningful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Every flinch, every flicker of the eye, every gesture is meaning something to the audience. So take control of that and be yeah. excited by it and yeah. empower yeah. those movements and strip away what you don't need. So that's the bit that I'm really that I that is my I feel that I have contributed the most to is that is is that everything that the puppet does is is specific and meaningful. Right. There's a great honesty to that though, isn't there? In mm. terms of there's no facade. Mm. If you're that exposed, that every flinch, every yeah. flicker, yeah. is part of the story, yeah. and we are completely naked, yeah, by taking ownership of that. Yeah. As you say, the storytelling possibilities are huge, but also the minutiae has its own has its own possibility. It doesn't have to be delivered on a large scale. It yeah. can be delivered in something in a quite intimate way that you know, you like when you do things on the Olivier stage, you think, Oh, this won't read and yeah. it's extraordinary how little yeah. a thing can read on that stage. And yeah. once you realise that and you're 
given permission to relish it. It's just such it's an exciting yeah. I think space. I, I think what's so interesting about all this is that, um, oddly, as we talk, it occurs to me that puppetry and this this sense of the development on the British stage mm. of this kind of... It is a new tradition of puppetry where, where it's become something beyond uh, a children's show and become a means of telling a story. Mm. is It almost runs counter to the kind of great British tradition of theatre, which is all in the head. Mm. And mm. it's much more about sort of embodied movement, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And, and, and it, it's part of maybe a kind of subtle shift in what British theatre has got to be good at somehow. Mm. Do you I think, think there's more of a, a European influence? I remember years ago seeing... Street of Crocodiles that, yeah, that Complicity so. did and I don't know if that is puppetry or not so when mm. they I just remember that scene yeah. where they're all at their desks and suddenly the because the desks have been piles of things in the present then suddenly it becomes a memory and they, he's in his schoolroom and then they take their books off the desk and they all start running around and they're mad birds the mm. books are the mad birds yeah. so if you take an object mm. and make it into something else does that come under the umbrella of puppetry or is that... People influence? definitely talk about object manipulation, object puppetry, yeah. Okay. And, and one thing becoming another thing and many things becoming one thing. And I yeah. do a fair amount of that. That tends to be, in my work, um, environmental stuff. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I would think of it as, board, you know, somewhere between... I don't know what physical theatre re- means, really, but, yes. you know, theatre using the body and puppetry. Um, and that, I we end up using a lot of that kind of thing, not transformative objects, but moving objects with a quality. So all of the transitions in Pi, for instance, are just flotsam and jetsam, and we're describing the sea in different states by the quality in which those objects move through the space. Sometimes it's a big storm, sometimes it's creeping like, um, you know, a, a fog. And a, anyway, different qualities of movement. Um, so yes, I would say it's within the world of puppetry, and my movement work is always influenced by the quality with which I've learned to move things through objects. So it starts with that object stuff. Mm-hmm. And even if it becomes just the body, it's about what you're doing with the body that you would be doing to influence an object, I guess. Like Light Princess. Like Light Princess, exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. That. Which, yeah. describe an example in Light Princess. So Light Princess, which I forgot. Uh, was the, our central character, Rosie Craig, was, um, was a character who had no emotion and that was represented by her having no gravity. Okay. So her lack of gravity, we portrayed by puppeteering her. By lifting her up, in actual fact, it is. I think it is puppetry. It's also the opposite because in puppetry, you were, we were giving the puppetry muscularity and gravity. In Light Princess, we were taking away something she had, which was gravity. We were Amazing, making yeah. her seem light, yeah. removing a quality from her. Um, but yeah, it was very much puppetry as well. Yeah, and and so if she get knocked by somebody it was not just that she moved, but it was like how hard did she get moved? What's the intention of that? Is it supposed to be cruel? Is it supposed to be do you, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It's the difference and those really detailed differences that are exciting to me. Yeah. And I think I think it is so complicity are definitely part of this story because I I mean certainly all of their early work is so kind of it, it is bringing in that European tradition of yeah. embodied theatre and physical theatre into um I, I really fe- feel they were one of the yeah, pioneers. They're one of the first people yeah. that I ever really remember seeing and thinking, oh gosh, this is exciting. You know, yeah, the movement's definitely. as exciting yeah. and as important as simply the words that are coming out. And the collaboration I, as well. And the collaboration between yeah. different people. But I think and I, it is something that occurs to me as we speak that that, that what what the puppetry has done and what Warhorse specifically did, you know, because Tom Morris, I think, had always been interested in that European tradition, yeah. was make it mainstream. 
Yeah. I mean, it is yeah. that sudden moment that that it comes into the mainstream of British theatre, and now you know, you know, the the the, the movement of Life of Pi from Sheffield to yeah. Broadway is is sort of absolutely an indication of how mainstream, how powerful that means of storytelling has become. I, I think. hope so. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly very exciting for me, and I, yeah, I am. Um, I hope it continues. I think. Are the Americans different? Have they responded? Differently? Yes, um, we, we were talking about this before, weren't we? I, I think I, I don't know, uh, but my my hunch is that because we had Warhorse here, and Warhorse, of course, went to New York, and then here we've had all these other shows. You know, yeah, Dalmatians. Yeah. We've had Running Wild. We've had uh, all of these shows, Lorax. Yeah. And I think we've slightly educated our audience. I think, like you were saying about perceiving what's going on in that moment in Totoro when they're stepping away and probably their eyelines are changing and who's looking at who. And we are ready for that kind of sophistication of um, technique around those ideas. And I think the American audience is my, this is totally my hunch, but I think they wanted it to be a kid's show. They want it to be family friendly rather. Yeah, and Life yeah. Pie almost is, but it's got, you know, tigers murdering people. Yeah, so it's quite it's scary. Quite scary. So I think they were, so I think we were maybe, uh, I don't know, just further down that road. There's yeah. definitely a huge interest in puppetry. People are really excited about it. And like here, you know, they want it to be part of everything that is around the show. The thing they're really excited about is the puppet. But I think, yeah, they wanted it to be, they didn't, they weren't quite ready for it to be a full adult, grown-up, sophisticated thing. And uh, they were more keen on the puppetry being within the safe territory of puppetry for family shows. Like Warhorse was scary, but predominantly yeah. a family show. It's. I just think trying to work it out in my head what the, the sort of analogy is for the imagination. It's a bit like yoga, isn't it? You go into a yoga session and think, I'm never going to do that stretch. I just yeah. never, my body won't do that. I won't, don't know what that state of relaxation is. And and yet you do it and you think, oh my God, I now can walk differently. And I And it's a bit like that watching new theatrical conventions where you go... Mm. I don't know what this is. This isn't, and I feel like that sometimes as a performer. You go into a rehearsal and you think, "I can't this? possibly." Yeah. I I think they've picked the wrong person entirely. <laughs> and by the end, you're like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, right. I didn't know that this was possible. And and it, you're just opening doors in your head, aren't you? And I, I think suppose, yeah, yeah. it is like that for audiences. Sometimes you give them a new form of language, and they go, "I didn't even know that door yeah. was there, but now it's open. Why shut it?" Yeah, and yeah. It, and it's really. I remember years and years ago. And I think it must have been your production as well, The Bear. I didn't work on The Bear, yeah. Was it the polka? Yep. Or so? yep. Yeah, The Bear. And I took the kids. Raymond Briggs. And I think my Pins husband... And was the company. My husband and my daughter were both in tears. Oh. Just like with the beauty of it. Whereas my slightly more analytical son was like, well, it, it's, it's fluff and hoops, isn't it? <laughs> and I just think that's such a great analogy yeah. for everything that we do, that he had been taken in by it, yeah. but he also wanted to understand how it worked. Yeah. And the yeah. idea that something very, very small can come through a window and then take up the entire space of the room yeah. and be beautiful and soft-looking, but also utterly terrifying at the yeah. same time, blew his head into a place that he wanted to be, but he also needed to find the language. And Fluff and Hoops is what he Fluff came up yeah. with, the really? agent. Yeah. Which I think, but it, I found that rather lovely in a I way. I mean, I think it's really telling, actually. But by per, my personal theory is that, you know, kids love puppetry because it reminds them of play. Yeah. Teenagers, not so much because they're trying to grow up and they're trying to get away from that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Adults love it because they really secretly want to get back, whether they know it <laughs> yeah, or not. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But it also means that adults are the ones who cry at Warhorse. Yeah. yeah, kids don't cry at Warhorse or oh, like really? a pie. No, because they they it's toys. They're playing war and they're ah. fighting each other, and it's uh, two horses fighting. That's great. And oh look, there's a massive tank. That's fun. 
Yeah. Um, whereas I think the adults go, war, people died, terrible yeah. stories, here's oh, all yeah. our baggage. That's yeah, yeah. Layered, you know, quite right. It's all brilliant. It's, but... Yeah. Though I think it, I, I think it has got something to do with the quality of the movement that you've come back to that. So last week on the, the podcast, we were talking about dancing at Lunasa mm. and how that moment where the women dance is always kind of an extraordinarily yeah. tear-jerking, literally a tear-jerking moment. So, you know, everybody cries. I mean, you know, even though it's a joyful it's like scene. A relief. And I think, so I think the key Warhol's was that movement of that suddenly seeing a young thing become an, an older thing. Yeah. And, and, and it somehow sweeps you up in that um, theatrical release. And we talk, you know, we do talk a lot on this podcast about sort of magic and, Mm. I mean, puppetry is magic, yeah, and 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 it does. Come I in. think so, yeah. I, I mean, I really do. I, Toby Olier talks a lot about magic. He kind of dislikes the word, and I understand why. He's he, it's sort of like a catch-all to kind of dismiss something. But I think it. I, I, I actually, what I think about it is that we get confused between illusion and magic, and I think puppetry is real magic because this kind of puppetry certainly is because we're showing you we're doing it, and it still makes you feel like you're watching something. Un, no, magical, really magical. Yeah. And sometimes people talk about magic as there was nothing and now there is something. Yeah. And it's sort of similar. There's the puppet, the dead puppet, and there's the three puppeteers, and they pick it up and the puppet becomes alive. And that's the thing that just wasn't there before. Yeah. And so that's a complete, like, that for me, still daily when I'm in the rehearsal room, is like, huh, yeah. it's alive. But it's interesting. I, I think about it in terms of the guys going to the moon in 1969 and how mm. they all discovered God. Because it was all too much for their brain yeah. to encapsulate. And the only way that they could come back, literally come back to Earth, was saying, oh, well, that was God's world. That Because it was wow. too much information. Yeah. And I think, think words like magic yeah. become a little bit godlike in that way. That yeah. they become, we're safe with that space. We're safe with, oh, that's magic. Mm. Which means for the cynics, there's a little bit of trickery. Mm. And for the romantics... I can lose myself in that. I've been, I give yeah, myself I permission to get... Yeah. But we sort of need a new word. It's a sort of transportative, transformative yes. experience, Definitely. isn't it? And I, yeah. I do think it's amazing. And I think, Vin, you, you've given the most wonderful oh, account. Oh, so exciting. Oh, it's so thank exciting you. to hear it and to hear your enthusiasm. And thank you mm. so much yeah. for coming to talk to Thanks us. Thanks, both. It's been really, really good fun. No, it's great. And I hope that the Life of Pi continues to be a huge success in New York. And we look forward to what you're doing next. Yeah. <laughs> we're very exciting. Thank you. And so that's uh, goodbye from me, Nancy Carroll, the actress. And goodbye from me, Sarah Crompton, the critic. And thank you, Finn. And thank you. Thanks very much for having me. (laughs) 